2: good evening. KMOX at your service. It is 8.06 downtown St. Louis. I'm George Sells with you until 10 o'clock tonight and lots, lots, lots to unpack about today. Uh, we're going to kind of do this in, in, uh, two blocks. We've got two hours. So, uh, Many of you who are with us right now, sports fans coming out of a, another great sports open line. So if you hang around until 9 o'clock, we're going to get into some sports. Specifically, we're going to talk a whole lot about St. Louis City SC and what is coming. Uh, the new world of St. Louis sports between the, the St. Louis Battle Hawks who are out on the field right now and St. Louis SC soccer. Uh, we've got a, a lot going on in sports, and we're going to get into that. Uh, ben Hockman from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch will be with us uh, to talk a little bit about what to expect on the field from this team. And we've heard a lot about the fan experience in the stadium and all that kind of stuff, which we're also going to get into. But we have also heard a lot about, or we've heard very little, I should say, about what's going to happen on the field. Are these guys going to be any good? I and mean, let's face it, you know, the expansion teams, there's no nice way to say it. They tend to suck. So is there any chance that the St. Louis City SC soccer team will buck that trend? And there are reasons to believe they can. Give you some optimism there. So we're going to get into that. That'll be in the 9 o'clock hour along with Matt Seabach from St. Louis City SC. He is in charge of your experience as a fan in a number of ways. Uh, And we're going to talk to him about what to expect, and what will be coming up. The brand-new city park here in the downtown West area and the experiences that will be going on there. So we're going to really kind of immerse ourselves in our new professional sports team as we are now just a couple of days away from them hitting the pitch for the first time. And, of course, folks around here are excited about it. It was announced yesterday that Odyssey Radio will be carrying those games. You'll have a lot of St. Louis City SC programming here on KMOX, and uh, Y98 will be carrying the games themselves beginning Saturday when they play at Austin. So we're going to get into that, may even talk a little bit about uh, sports TV ratings, which were interesting over the weekend, Uh, you know. The shiny new thing versus the the team that just isn't doing all that well right now. The Battle Hawks actually outdrawing the Blues on television over the weekend. We'll talk a little bit about that. So that's all the second hour. So you 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 sports fans, the night is not over. There is still sports to be discussed. The first hour, starting here in just a couple of minutes when we when we come back, uh, we're going to get very deep into this con- this controversy surrounding circuit attorney Kim Gardner. Uh, we will have an opportunity to take your calls. 314-436-7900 is the number here at KMOX. 314-436-7900. Uh, we're going to start, though, uh, as we get into that whole situation, we're going to start with kind of a round table. I've got Kevin Colleen, uh, Sean Michael Lyle, uh, to join me earlier and to talk about, and Michael Calhoun, excuse me, to talk about uh, what has been going on over the past few days. All three of them have been covering various aspects of this story. So we were able to really kind of unpack the whole thing. And, uh, of course, you know the story by now, I'm sure, as far as, as what happened. It, it begins over the weekend with, with a car accident uh Janae Edmondson, a sixteen-year-old volleyball player from Tennessee, uh walking down the street with her dad in downtown St. Louis, uh, is hit by a car driving recklessly. Uh she's pinned against a wall. Uh she eventually had to have her legs amputated, both of them. Uh this is a girl who was looking to play volleyball in college at the college level. And uh, you know, her life this it's just a tragic story, a story made worse. Uh, from the standpoint of, of local governance, if you will, by the fact that the driver of the car, in the eyes of many, should have been in prison or locked up in some form or fashion because uh, what we're talking about here is, is a young man who uh, had been set to go to trial in 2020, Daniel Riley, for for on a robbery charge. Uh, charges got dropped by the circuit attorney's office, according to the judiciary, because circuit attorney's office wasn't ready for trial. So they dropped the charges and refiled. Now, that's not completely unusual. A lot of things can happen that co- that cause that, scheduling in courts and stuff, but it, it's not a great look. So they had to reschedule. It's made to look even worse by the fact that he was on home incarceration, supposed to be wearing an ankle bracelet and... He violated that home incarceration in one form or fashion or another 51 different times, according to reports. And yet nobody ever said, hey, maybe you ought to be in jail waiting for your trial rather than continually violating these rules. Uh, the circuit attorney's office already under fire. Uh, now uh, I'm in a state of what would you call it? Chaos. Uh, certainly under siege. Uh, I can tell you yesterday I saw something I never thought I would see. That is uh, Mayor Tashara Jones, uh, who a very progressive politician whose uh, political ideas uh, have always seemed very much in line with those of Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner. Uh, Tashara Jones came out and said that Kim Gardner needs, needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror and decide if she wants to be Circuit Attorney. And pointed to the flaws in the office and the challenges that they've had in that office that have been uh, pointed out by Gardner's opponents. And the, uh, the drum has been beat on for some time by her opponents. And Republicans in Jefferson City have been looking for ways to either get her out or go around her. And fuel is certainly being poured on that fire. But uh, all of a sudden, many of Ms. Gardner's allies are even calling for her resignation. Uh, she held a very combative news conference today where she basically said to everyone who is saying she should resign or be fired or whatever you want to call it, too bad. She's sticking by her guns, and she made a number of statements about things that her office supposedly did. And there's there's a lot of debate to this, and, and there's a lot of uh, – there are a lot of disputed facts. And – This is where I have a problem, and we'll get into this in our roundtable. The circuit attorney's office, our our city's chief prosecutor, and the judiciary, in other words, the, the judges over in the courts, there are a lot of things, there are always things that you might criticize, you might disagree with, but I think we all can agree, no matter what your politics are or anything else, that you should be able to count on those two institutions to come at you with a basic moniker of truth. Nobody expects to be lied to by the judge or lied to by the prosecutor. And yet we are now looking with some of the facts in these cases, some of the circumstances around Mr. Riley being out, Mr. Daniel Riley being out and not being in jail and thus able to drive this car recklessly and destroy this young girl's life. Uh, we are sitting here in discussion of the, the facts surrounding this case whether he said, she said situation. I mean, I, te- I always want to give the benefit of the doubt. And maybe, you know, I always I, I'm very big on acknowledging and embracing gray areas and accepting gray areas and accepting that. Most things are not simple. But in this case, you know, when the circuit attorney's office says, yeah, we had to drop the charges because the guy was dead. The victim was dead and we had to refile. And the judiciary says, no, that didn't happen. OK, there was a there may have been a mix up there to explain that. But that seems like a real big discrepancy. Uh the circuit attorney's office saying and producing what they say are, tr- are transcripts from a couple of different hearings, uh, saying that they had asked that this guy be put away. They're not saying transcripts, they said these are oral arguments, saying that when he violated his, uh, with his ankle bracelet, when he violated his home incarceration, they're saying that they asked that he be put away and that the judge denied it. It was the judge. Well, the judiciary comes back with documents, transcripts from two hearings, at least, where the circuit attorney's representative said they were just fine with this guy being on home incarceration. Now, again, he apparently broke this, broke the home incarceration rule some 50 times. So there may have been more hearings that we don't know about. And that's where you get into potential gray area. But it sure sounds like you've got two people. Pointing fingers at each other and somebody, you know, are they lying? Are they just playing fast and loose with some of the facts? Hard to kind of hard to figure out, but that is something that you don't you don't really expect from institutions that are supposed to be upholding the law. So that's a problem. And we're going to get much deeper into this. Once again, next segment, round robin with the reporters from KMOX who've been covering the story segment after that. Talk a little bit more about it. Take your calls. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. You're listening to Cambo X at your service. I'm George Sells. It's 817 on a Thursday night. At your service, George Sells with you tonight until 10 o'clock. And of course, uh, the talk of the town, of course, is uh, Kim Gardner and the calls for her resignation uh, amid a teenager losing her legs in an automobile wreck where the driver, in the eyes of many, should have been at very least in jail. Uh could have already been in prison in the eyes of some, had a first trial taken place, and uh, she's catching a lot of heat. So what we're going to do, we're going to do the KMOX round table here because we've got a room full of journalists who have been covering this uh, all through it. Uh, Kevin Colleen is with us. He was at the news conference today. Sean Michael Lyle has been on the story, as has Michael Calhoun. And guys, thanks for sitting in with me. And I guess my first question, let's start with Kevin, because uh, that news conference today, uh, anybody who thought that Kim Gardner was going to fold up her tent and resign under pressure from Jefferson City to City Hall, uh, they were wrong. Yeah, I mean, this was the most
4: suspenseful news day, a high noon deadline, resign or else the attorney general, Andrew Bailey, told her, get out or I'm going to start proceedings to get you out. And Kim Gardner, who has been a fighter the whole time, f- is fighting again. She came up in front of her uh, office there at a podium surrounded by supporters. It's sort of a echoey uh, marble hallway, and you can hear the, the, the din of it as uh, we'll play a cut here where she was just asked the basic question, hey, the other day the mayor said, you're kaput, what do you think? And listen to how the supporters took that. Kim, the mayor has said that, that she, uh, in her opinion, you've lost the confidence of the public. You're in this to fight it and prove that you did the right thing. Can you get the public's confidence back at this point?
0: And
4: this was as vitriolic as it reminded me of heine Miney, the little league uh, teams that we used to follow when I, my kids were playing little league. Where the other, the coaches and the the, the uh, p- parents would get so. Uh, you know enthralled by the moment and they were saying you know we'll we'll answer for her but finally she did answer and uh, she said that
3: the people have a process if they do not no longer want me in this office and that's called an election and so I cannot speak for the people and I will not address anything that the mayor said because I think the people should speak for themselves right
4: What she did say there was that, you know, I'm not going to step down, that there's a process, unelect me at the polls if you want to. Uh, One other thing at this news conference, she deflected some of the blame to the judge, Judge Hettenbach, saying, hey, I asked for uh, the judge to keep this guy behind bars or to revoke his bond and put him behind bars a couple of times, a few times, she said. But, you know, I can't tell the judge what to do. So if this is a movie trailer of how her case would go later on, she's going to try to say it wasn't
2: all me, it was the judge. And let me take it from there, uh, and this is in some ways one of the more troubling things about all this, is is we are in this place now where two institutions that we are supposed to be able to trust beyond reproach, the prosecutor's office and the judiciary – And we now have what amounts to a he said, she said Mm -hmm. between the judge and Kim Gardner's office. And if you take all these statements that have been made – it's hard not to conclude, Michael, that somebody's lying here.
0: Well, so this is the case of uh, the the suspect in the reckless driving accident incident, who uh, had been involved in an armed robbery, had been charged with that in uh, a couple of years earlier, and so uh, there was a lot of back and forth over do we do we uh, what kind of bond conditions do we have? Do we let him out with uh, GPS monitoring? Do we put them behind bars? Uh, the circuit attorney's office allegedly was not prepared for the first trial date, and so it was dismissed and refiled, uh, and. So So, yeah, the circuit attorney has said, hey, we did go when this suspect violated bond 50 times, 50 plus times, GPS monitoring violations, many of those, the the battery just being dead, other times leaving you know, the geographic zone. But in those cases, the circuit attorney's office says it was the judge who decided to do GPS. We went to the judge and said there have been these violations. Uh, the circuit attorney's office has claimed that. There's no evidence of this, though. When you go to CaseNet, which is the electronic listing of uh, court records, there's, there's no way to prove this when you look at that. Uh, and part of that is because of the dismissal. And so uh, the circuit court has said that the— um, the requests uh, there were no requests in this current trial period before the dismissal though the prosecutor says i asked then and uh, and so the circuit court has said we haven't been able to release the records from before that dismissal and that did leave us in a position yeah. where we're like who's who's saying what here and, how do just, and
4: just to clarify there's this law that i didn't know about until this week if a judge drops a case everything that was public record on case net about that including you know how many times a guy violated home confinement is then closed, and so there's this
0: backstory that we can't get to through the official records to find out who's telling the truth. We did keep up the pressure, though, in saying that, you know, we need to be able to set the record straight and find out, you know, what actually happened. We've got two different accounts here in the public sphere, and actually we did get from the 22nd Judicial Circuit late today. Two documents, and one of them, Kevin, is from an initial appearance hearing in September of 2020, which was before that first case was dismissed. The court Mm. made the decision, a rare decision, to release that. And here's what it says about the circuit attorney's office the assistant circuit attorney uh, said a house arrest recommendation would not be opposed by the state. I see no reason that could be out of the realm of possibility. Is the court inclined to grant house arrest on this uh, case? If the court is inclined, we would ask that it's standard GPS conditions that was in 2020 so it was the assistant circuit attorney asking for GPS monitoring then we fast forward to the beginning of the second trial the retrial so to speak in August of 2022 a different assistant US circuit or uh, circuit attorney uh, city circuit attorney says your honor i believe we actually reached a consent with defense to have the defendant released on his own recognizance with the added conditions of GPS and house arrest. And the judge says, Defense, do you like that? The, the defense says, Yeah, that's good. Uh, and the court asks the circuit attorney in the courtroom, Are we looking for 24 7 GPS monitoring? And the assistant circuit attorney says, Standard GPS is fine, judge. So the assistant circuit attorneys in two cases not only agreed with, but went along with, and even said, No, we don't want to escalate this to 24 7 monitoring. Just a regular bracelet is fine.
2: So this does not completely. Uh, make a liar out of Kim Gardner because she said her statement was that they had repeatedly asked. And it, that's two examples from two hearings. And there may have been more. So but it certainly looks. Well, she said face. that the
0: judge decided. Right. GPS monitoring. These two cases indicate her that the assistant circuit attorney said, yeah. And and when asked, do you want to escalate this to 24 seven? They said, no, thanks. And
2: there was also the release uh, the other night The first release that
0: their office issued
2: where they said the reason that they dropped the charges was because the uh, victim in the case had passed away. And we have heard since the the victim in that case, in fact, was alive and well and at the hearing when the charges were dropped. So, Sean, I I ask you as a guy who is having to pour through and gather these facts and a guy who was on station the night when that when that information Mm -hmm. came out, uh, is this a problem with the
3: truth? Is this a problem with facts Something in the middle? What do you think? It was apparently a problem with facts, that there was a name mix-up as far as a couple of different robbery victims, and they thought it was one, but it was really another, and they later found out. But the thing that—what that I am here to offer is that uh, this is, uh, you know, rearranging chairs on a sinking ship. In Jefferson City, and Andrew Bailey, the uh, attorney general of Missouri, none of this matters. Um, janae edmondson's what happened to her was the straw that broke the camel's back and that is what they're talking about in jefferson city especially from the attorney general and state lawmakers including ones like rasheen aldridge who represents the district where this happened Um, and that is that this has been going on for a long time this there's 4,000, there are 4,000 backlog cases. Many of those are homicides. You go across the state to a similar city in Kansas City, they don't have this problem. They don't have the backlog. So, what the people at the state level, especially the attorney general, in his demand that she resign and also a filing to have her removed, is that this is an ongoing thing to the thousands of cases. Yes, it's terrible what happened to this young woman. Yes, this is the one that, for whatever reason, really uh, sparked this, the powder keg. But that's what their points are, and that is this has just gotten to the point where something must be done, and that's how they're looking at it. So
2: I, mean, I think we all know that the way the courts work—
3: they could do this filing in Jefferson City. And it, was, go- it was done in St. Yeah. Louis in okay. the 22nd Circuit. It was done uh, today in the 22nd Circuit. Right. That's where it was filed, uh, Section 106.220, which allows for this uh, so-called quo uh, warranto, which is uh, basically saying that it would allow a process to remove somebody who has the right to hold office. Right. But they, but you, you still have –
2: Playing, I'm playing this out the way I see it. If somebody decides they're going to fight it, they're going to fight it to the death, so to speak. Uh, you have to go through the process, a trial essentially, to essentially. do this, and then she'll have the right to appeal that, and then there'll be another appeal. And by the time we get through all this, but there'll fact, be another election. Her, who knows if her term is yeah. is over yeah. by then? My, but my so. You know, I I take it all everything with a grain of salt out of the attorney general's office for that reason, because she if she wants to fight this from that standpoint, she could probably draw this out and finish out her term. But my question to you guys, and I mean, you have to cover the story, so don't don't compromise any uh, objectivity here. But I do wonder, do we think that she can survive this? Do we think she'll be in office this time, well, two months from now? What's different, you remember the
4: last time she had her neck on the line when she was in front of that review board uh and she got out of that, th- there was this talk behind the scenes. People would never say it on the record. They'd say, well, nobody wants to get rid of Kim Gardner or we'll have the, the Michael Brown riots all over again. But now when you have progressives, members of her own party, like Tashara Jones or Sheen Aldridge several progressive aldermen saying she's not a team player. It's, you know, we're calling you out. Do some soul searching and whether you want this job. It makes you wonder if she's done. And maybe there, people in power believe there would not be rioting in the streets if they got rid of her.
3: Yeah, the progressive concept of justice reform, it could be at stake in their mind. And they don't want to lose their, their ideal because one particular person isn't getting it done i I think that it could be said that it's not necessarily the progressive justice reform that is at fault here, but it is just the management by this particular circuit attorney and I think that yeah I think maybe that's why some of these people are turning because they're seeing that that their ideals of progressive justice reform could go down with the ship if she tries to hang on that's we'll what
0: we're seeing from social media our folks mm-hmm. expressing that very concern uh, but you can look across in st. Louis County and see Wesley Bell pursuing many of the same policies uh, finding success building consensus uh, and it goes back to the argument uh, that is what happened is what uh, the situation is in the circuit attorney's office Uh, because of the approach and the mindset and the philosophy, or is it a a matter of filing papers in the right place, having the right victims, you Mm -hmm. know, when a victim dies, the right name on there, uh, having the right uh, assistant circuit attorneys showing up in the courtroom on the right days? Is it a matter of philosophy, or is it a matter of just getting the job done? And that's going to be the question that will be answered in the coming days. Certainly... uh I don't know if a
2: surprise is the right word, but I never thought I would see uh, Tashara Jones, our mayor, step forward and say everything but Kim Gardner should resign. And that was essentially where she went. Yeah. Uh, Megan Green standing at her side, as she said, it one of one of the most uh, liberal progressive members of what is a progressive city government here. Uh, that was something I was all but shocked by, and uh, you, you have to wonder now, you know, how much shelter is left in the storm for Kim Gardner. And one quick thing, uh, to me, I covered her tr-
4: moment of triumph just one week ago when she uh, won the prison release of Lamar Johnson. And this is like a Shakespearean tragedy. There's such an utter reversal for her. She goes from looking like she's, you know, in, in a safe position in one week and then from the most unforeseeable circumstances, her job is on the line in, le- in less than 10 days. Something to see.
2: Well, Kevin Colleen, Michael, oh, Michael, we're gonna do. What, I was going to wrap it up, but let's do it. Why not? I just, Michael, I just one more thing.
0: want to <laughs> emphasize people should go. We have a link at KMOX.com. It's a GoFundMe that's called Pray for Janae. They set out to raise $100,000, George. It's over $400,000 now. That's messages of support from coast to coast, Canada and beyond. And that's amazing. And I,
2: That's something that we should not be losing sight of in all of this talk about the political intrigue is the reason we're having this conversation uh, is a 16-year-old girl lying in a hospital bed with no legs, not two miles from where we're sitting right now in Janae Edmondson. Mm. And... uh you know as you said kind of what triggered all of all of this conversation but uh this horrific crash and what happened to this young woman uh you hate to see a tragedy spark change. But that seems to be what we're looking at here. And uh, again, KMOX.com for those links and uh, stay with KMOX for more coverage because this story is not going away anytime soon. This is going to be something to to pay close attention to. Sean Michael Lyle, Kevin Colleen, Michael Calhoun, thank you very much for sitting in with me tonight. Thanks, Drew. Thank you. Thank you. So what do you think? We want to hear from you coming up next. Give us a call, 314-436-7900. Again, 314-436-7900 as the uh, circuit attorney's office under attack from all sides tonight. Give us a call. We'll be back here in just a moment. I'm George Sells with you until 10 o'clock. KMOX at your service. KMOX at your service, 841 in the evening on a Thursday night, Uh, a combative day in in St. Louis politics. Kim Gardner, the circuit attorney, her office under fire after this crash that left a young woman, a 16-year-old girl from Tennessee, an aspiring volleyball player who was here for a volleyball tournament, uh, got hit by a car and was left with the, without her legs. She had to have her both legs amputated. She's in the hospital tonight. And uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what your thoughts are on this case. Again, it's uh, 314-436-7900, the number here at KMOX. I uh, want to hear what your thoughts are about uh, Kim Gardner's office. Should she stay? Should she go? Also curious to hear uh, your thoughts about the way uh, the city has really come together uh, to support 16-year-old Janae Edmondson. Uh, Janae, you know, they started a, a GoFundMe to to help her family uh, pay for some of these what are going to be massive bills, certainly, and uh, that the community has rallied around it. They were, their goal was like two hundred thousand dollars. They're over four hundred thousand dollars. Uh, both from people here and then around the area, and we did get an update on her condition. Leaders of the Tennessee volleyball club uh, they 're not calling her critically injured they're calling they 're not calling her a victim they 're calling her a survivor. Janae Edmondson, 16 years old, still hospitalized. KMOX's Megan Lynch spoke today with Jeff Wismer. He's the assistant director and recruiting coordinator for the Mid-Tennessee Volleyball Club in Smyrna, Tennessee, and uh, he gave us an update on her condition.
5: We we want to thank the St. Louis community for its outpouring of support on site, whether that is prayers, cards, uh, food offerings. just a sense of your community displaying the values that the Midwest is known for. Um, that's been felt. Uh, I, I know the family would like to be able to get out and in person, thank everyone and give updates. But right now their, their primary focus has to be on their family and, and for Janae, um, yesterday she completed an additional surgery, uh, just to go in and check her wounds because the wounds obviously are, um, extensive. Um, And that was a positive third surgery. And my understanding is that she has a couple more in front of her. So she is still in in a critical but stable position at this time. She was alert. I think it was Monday morning. She was able to um, engage her family. She was able to, uh, on Tuesday, engage her sister as well. I think those were You know, obviously, two really positive steps to that family. Um, We're really excited and we're very thankful for um, some positive news today that um, I've been in communication with her future college coach at UT Southern. And um, we are so thankful to report, (coughs) excuse me, that UT Southern is going to honor Janae's scholarship. Um, so with much gratitude, we're thankful to the chancellor at UT Southern, the athletic director and that volleyball department, to uh, stand beside this kid uh, where team sports matters so much to this family and her that um, she has the future team that she wanted to be on with the Skyhawks, and, and she's going to be a part of that team in the next couple of years.
3: That is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. What does the family need right now? You know, you mentioned they they can feel the outpourings of support, which I know will give people um, a lot of comfort.
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's no way I can walk in their shoes. Um, I want to be very thoughtful with my words because I do not want to speak out of turn for James and Francine. Um, Just knowing the family to some degree and being a father, maybe all of that merges together. And I, I hope I represent them correctly and and speaking that, you know, obviously, um, you know, this family needs to continue to feel that love. Uh, I think our, that family and, and our community at large just needs to continue to have information given to us as to what can we do to carve out um, a successful transition plan, not only for Janae, but for James and Francine and, and that entire family when she does, when she is able to get out of the hospital and come home. Uh, And there there are folks who have unfortunately gone down this path before. I've been very humbled by um, athletes who have reached out with trauma like this to say, hey, we want to be involved. We've been so thankful for um, um, Explore St. Louis. Kitty's been great reaching out. The event host has been spectacular. Uh, The medical community reaching out saying, hey, you know, here's going to be some things that they're going to have to process moving forward. And, I think those continue outreaches to um, tip us off to what we should be prepared for, what James and Francine should be prepared for. Uh, I think that there, as a father, um, speaking for another father, there's a strong sense for
2: justice here. And justice is what a lot of people are talking about. And uh, again, getting, getting back to the case, uh, a lot of people are talking about the circuit attorney's office and what they did or did not do and how this might have been easily prevented. Ken's on the line with us. Ken, uh, welcome to KMOX.
6: Uh, how are you doing, man? Very well. Hey, uh, yeah, hey, I'm just calling. You know, you know, there's a lot of talk. You guys talk. We talk. The people talk. But nothing ever gets done. And nothing is ever going to get done. The only thing that would change anything, really, if nobody ever went down, to these blues games. Nobody went down to the Cardinals games. No, nobody goes down there anymore until stuff changes down there, but they still get the people to go down there. These people from, and it's mostly the people from St. Charles County from West County. You have all the sheep out there that are still going to go watch the game. And then they head right back home again, but it's like, Hey, we're not going down there that you, you, you start, you get the Cardinals mad. You get the blues bad about this. Then maybe something gets done. You know, with this, that, that Kim Gardner, I mean, you know, definitely she's a piece of work. She's horrible. And uh, she's more of a public defender to criminals than she is a prosecutor. You know, but, you know, that's just a piece of it. There's so much down there that's going on. But, you know, everybody, if you want to do something, if people want to do something about it, don't go down to these games. Don't go down there to the rest. Don't go down there for nothing. And then once these businesses and the Cardinals and the Blues, they start feeling the effects of this, Hey, we're we're going to pull out of here. They're going to pull their they're going to pull their team out of there, or you know that because that's where their big revenue comes in.
2: Well, Ken, I think there's there's no question. You, you've you've got a couple of things there that that you're getting you're hitting on, and and first of all, I would not discount uh, the amount of pressure that is already being applied. Maybe more often behind the scenes, but uh, you know the Cardinals, the Blues, uh, and the the variety of businesses in the downtown area both for entertainment and also you know companies that house workers downtown uh there's there's a lot going on there there's a lot of heat being put on a lot of people in a lot of arms of city government uh, to do something about this uh you certainly are correct that uh Downtown area has got a crime problem and that crime problem has turned into an image problem. Uh, I'll agree to disagree with you on the the solution being everybody boycott it until uh, the place turns into a shell. Because uh, I think that you, you know, you look around at successful metro areas around this country and they tend to flourish from the center. And that's where St. Louis, if it's going to go back in the trajectory that we all want it to go, uh, it will also have to flourish from the center. But to do that— They've got to get the crime problem under control. I don't think I don't think anybody disagrees with that, no matter their political stripe. Uh, the question on the table right now is whether or not uh, we're going to see big changes in the circuit attorney's office, and it is certainly looking like that could be coming. But it's going to be a fight before it gets there. Eight forty nine on KMOX. I'm George Sells. Back with you in just a moment. Pressure, an appropriate song because uh, the circuit attorney under plenty of it tonight here in the city of St. Louis. 853 on KMOX. Uh, A lot of talk about the future of circuit attorney Kim Gardner and question on the table. A lot of people are asking, should she remain in office? Rick on the line with us. Rick, welcome to KMOX. Hey, thanks for taking my call. So today she
6: made a comment about the, you know, the voters have uh, stated her right to be in the office in the first place. And I think it's still two more years before there's another uh, uh, election. And I'm just kind of wondering, what do you what do you understand about the possibility of a referendum and expediting that process to let the voters have a chance at this point in time? to make a new decision.
2: That's a very good question. And I, I tried to do a little uh, a little quick research during the break when I when I uh, found out what your call was about. And uh, you're correct on the term. Uh, her term expires on January 1st of 2025. So there's uh, a little less than two years left in uh, her term in office. And uh, the, the question is, can she be recalled? And that's what I i don 't know the answer to that i 'll be honest with you. I tried to find it real quick uh, i don 't know what the uh, what the rules are. I know that they have had uh, some bills in the legislature in Jefferson City trying to change the recall rules, but i don 't know what they actually are right now haven 't really gotten to that point yet, but I think what you 're looking at right now is a few different ways that this could play out. Obviously, uh, the state attorney general starting the process in which uh, Kim Gardner could be removed from office. Now, the fact of the matter is this. That's almost like a trial. So he's going to have to go to court. He's going to have to get to the point of that hearing or or that trial, if you will, essentially prove a negative, which is not very easily, easy to do. And... Uh, get – basically get her ousted, but then if he were to win that, she still would have the right to appeal. And so then you have the process of the appeal and then maybe another one if it were to go to the state Supreme Court, for example. So from that standpoint, as we've all seen how, how the court system goes, you know that's something that could theoretically drag out to the end of her term. Uh, right. You then have the the calls from – seemingly everybody and their brother, that she should resign. That's probably, I would suggest to you that is probably the most likely course of action. And again, I don't know what the rules are on a recall election. What I do know is that uh, people in politics do have a way to deliver the message uh, to someone who they think is hurting them. If that someone wants to have a future in politics, and so... I think what you're talking about here is, you know, Ms. Gardner is probably hearing from people uh, in Democratic Party politics right now, suggesting that maybe it's time to step away. The question is whether she'll just go ahead and try to ride it out. We shall see. It's 856. I'm George Sells. Back in a moment.